Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, December 10th. In today's news, President Trump pressures congressional Republicans to join his fight to overturn the election results. A probe turns up possible criminal conduct by the VA secretary, but Bill Barr's Justice Department won't prosecute. And Hunter Biden confirms he is under federal investigation. But first, the big idea. A cold wind whipped through the South Dakota prairie as they laid Buck Timmons to rest. Timmons, a longtime coach and referee, was not the first person in the 15,600-person town of Mitchell to die of the coronavirus. He was not even the first of the week. As the funeral director tucked blankets over the knees of Timmons's widow, Nancy, Pastor Rhonda Wellstant-Zell told the small group of masked mourners that just as there had been seasons in the coach's life, basketball season, football season, volleyball season, Mitchell was now enduring a phase of its own, pandemic season. In a state where the Republican governor, Kristi Noem, has defied calls for a statewide mask mandate, even as cases hit record levels, Annie Gowan reports that many in a rural community an hour west of Sioux Falls ignored the virus for months, not bothering with masks or social distancing. But then people started to die. The wife of the former bank president, a state legislator, the guy whose family has owned the bike shop in town since 1959. Then Timmons, a mild-spoken 72-year-old who had worked with hundreds of local kids. His death shook Mitchell, just as its leaders were contemplating something previously denounced and dismissed, a requirement that its staunchly conservative residents wear masks. In Mitchell, the medical emergency helicopter, once a rare occurrence, now comes nearly every day, ferrying the growing number of people desperately ill with COVID to a hospital that might be able to save them. Sirens Echoing through the empty streets of New York marked the pandemic's first phase, swirling blades of helicopters on the American plains is the soundtrack of our deadly fall. Nancy's pretty sure her husband picked up COVID at one of the many games he went to, where people were casual about masks. They both became ill at the same time, but Nancy had a mild case. They had planned on taking an Alaska cruise together next year, But now, she's alone. Throughout the autumn, towns all over the Midwest in conservative states where GOP governors have avoided mask mandates have tried to pass their own restrictions, often prompting virulent community debate. During the public comment section in Mitchell, a handful of anti-maskers spoke, alleging that they don't work. Then local doctors and nurses overrun by COVID patients pleaded for help. The night of the final vote, A cold, clear evening in the 30s. More than 100 people gathered at the Corn Palace in Mitchell. The anti-mask forces sat with naked faces. The mandate passed the city council, 5-3. to But the resulting decision made few on either side happy. The town is as divided as ever. Wednesday was one of the deadliest days in American history. We lost more than 3,100 of our fellow Americans. 
the deadliest day yet of this pandemic. That's 700 more than died at Pearl Harbor and 100 more than died in all the 9-11 attacks. It would be as if one in five people in Mitchell, South Dakota died on the same day. Luckily, today, an FDA panel will meet to decide whether to recommend the agency approve the Pfizer vaccine. But we're still seeing dozens of examples every day of people not taking this seriously enough. After protesting pandemic restrictions in front of the governor's mansion, Texas's Republican Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller has acknowledged that he's now tested positive. Dismissing health concerns, Mike Pompeo's State Department treated two hundred revelers on Tuesday night to holiday drinks. The party included a tour of the White House's holiday decorations, followed by a self-guided tour across the street at Blair House. A State Department spokesman had announced that the reception part of this event was canceled this year because of concerns about the virus. But our John Hudson reports that that really wasn't true. Two open bars were set up as unmasked guests guzzled champagne. Amid the poinsettias, chandeliers, and meticulously decorated Christmas trees, children at the party received swag bags with backpacks, frisbees, and water bottles that all said, Be Best. Be Best was First Lady Melania Trump's signature anti-bullying initiative. The State Department purchased a massive stockpile of Be Best merchandise at taxpayer expense. In the absence of a second Trump term, Officials say they need to find a home for the surplus gear, so they're trying to give it away. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Thursday. Number one, President Trump is shifting his focus to Congress after the courts roundly rejected his bid to overturn the results of the election that he lost. Rachel Bade, Josh Tossi, and Tom Hamburger report that the president spoke yesterday to Arizona Republican Party Chairwoman Kelly Ward and Congressman Mike Johnson, the head of the conservative Republican Study Committee. Trump is expected to meet later today at the White House with several state attorneys general. Rudy Giuliani has been making similar calls from Georgetown Hospital, where he's still being treated for COVID. The president has also enlisted Vice President Pence to reach out to governors and other party leaders in key states to push them to take action to overturn the results of the free and fair election. Trump's conservative allies in the House have been privately buttonholing Republican senators seeking to enlist one of them to join in objecting to slates of electors on January 6th. On that day, Congress will meet in a joint session to count the electoral votes and declare Joe Biden as the 46th president, with Pence presiding. But if a member of the House and a member of the Senate challenge a state's results, the whole Congress would have to vote, forcing Republicans to choose between accepting the election results or Trump's bid to overturn the outcome. Trump's allies tell me that they're trying hardest to enlist Senators Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Josh Hawley, Rand Paul, and Kelly Loeffler to take part in this president's frontal assault on democracy. Trump is demanding that House Republicans show their fealty to him by signing on to an amicus brief in an 11th-hour Texas lawsuit seeking unprecedented judicial intervention to literally discard the results in four swing states that went for Biden. Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. They just want to throw the results out, not count those states at all. An email went out to every member of the House GOP conference yesterday telling them, quote, Trump will be anxiously awaiting the final list to review. The White House says the goal of this is to scare Republicans into signing on to the letter 
if they don't want to get attacked by the president on Twitter. Attorneys general in 17 states that Trump won are trying to apply pressure on the Supreme Court to take up the Texas complaint filed by Attorney General Ken Paxton, the state attorney general, a Trump dead ender. The president has become enamored with this Paxton suit, talking about it incessantly with advisors. He's hosting the Texas AG, among others, at the White House later today. Now, a lot of principled conservatives, it must be said, are aghast at what's going on. Mitt Romney said yesterday that it's just simply madness. He says the idea of supplanting the vote of the people with partisan legislators is so completely out of our national character that it is simply madness. Romney added that this effort to, quote, subvert the vote of the people is dangerous and destructive to the cause of democracy. Number two. The Veterans Affairs Inspector General informed federal prosecutors this fall of possible criminal conduct by Secretary Robert Wilkie stemming from an investigation into whether he used his office to work to discredit a congressional aide who said she was sexually assaulted. But a Trump appointee at the Justice Department has not pursued a case against Wilkie. Prosecutors told Inspector General Michael Missall that they didn't think there was enough evidence. Massal launched his inquiry into Wilkie's conduct in February after a request from House Veterans Affairs Committee Chairman Mark Takano, a Democrat from California, who said Wilkie had worked to damage the credibility of his senior policy advisor, Navy veteran Andrea Goldstein. In the fall of 2019, Goldstein said a man groped and propositioned her in the cafe in the main lobby of VA's flagship medical center in the district. Wilkie then inquired with military officials about her military record. This IG report, which is going to be released later today, will confirm that the secretary repeatedly worked to discredit Goldstein, both inside and outside his agency. Wilkie says in a statement responding to our questions that he did nothing improper, and he lashed out at the IG. My colleagues Lisa Ryan and Spencer Sue report that one of the possible criminal violations that the IG floated was interfering with a criminal investigation. Another was Wilkie potentially perjuring himself in his testimony to investigators. Now, Wilkie, like the president, will be out of a job next month. But for his next act, he is exploring a Senate run for an open seat in his home state of North Carolina, where Republican Richard Burr has announced he won't seek re-election in 2022. Number three. Federal prosecutors have been investigating Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, to determine if he failed to report income from China-related business deals. This is a politically explosive probe that is certain to challenge the Justice Department and the incoming administration, and it raises the stakes for whoever the president picks to be attorney general, or the president-elect, I should say. People familiar with the matter tell Matt Zapatosky, Devlin Barrett, and Colby Itkowitz, that the investigation into Biden's son began in 2018, though little could be learned immediately about what, if any, wrongdoing it had found. The existence of the tax investigation was confirmed last night by Hunter Biden himself, who put out a statement saying he had just been advised of it. FBI agents had been seeking to talk to Hunter Biden as part of the case on Tuesday, though an interview has not yet been scheduled or taken place. They also were trying to serve subpoenas on Hunter Biden and his associates. 
Although this investigation has been ongoing for some time, it is unclear how far along prosecutors consider themselves toward building a criminal case or closing the matter. The subject of an investigation typically is interviewed only when prosecutors have amassed a good deal of evidence. The prosecutor seeking to serve subpoenas, also this week, suggests that there's more investigative work to be done. A person familiar with the case says that the investigation had been continuing through the election year, but agents took care not to take over investigative steps as voting neared that would have made it more widely known. Those precautions became unnecessary once the election was over. Congressman Ken Buck, a Republican from Colorado, quickly called last night for a special counsel investigation of Hunter Biden. If Bill Barr does not appoint a special counsel, Joe Biden's attorney general would face pressure to do so to help ensure the probe's independence. Any special counsel would still answer to the attorney general. Another possibility being discussed would be for the current Delaware U.S. attorney, a Trump appointee, to remain in that job to continue the Hunter Biden investigation until its completion. A person familiar with the Hunter Biden investigation says that it is not connected to the attacks that the Trump campaign and their allies made against Hunter during the campaign. Joe Biden's transition team put out a statement last night that said, quote, The president-elect is deeply proud of his son, who has fought through difficult challenges, including the vicious personal attacks of recent months, only to emerge stronger. And that is The Daily 202 for Thursday, December 10th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.